0: Hey everybody, and welcome. This is Donovan Bankhead with Springfield Music, and I appreciate you dropping in and listening to the podcast. With the Bow Better Bands podcast, my intention is to talk with our fellow educators across the state and share some of their best tips, tricks, and best practices. Also, maybe even share some of the things that they're struggling with so that we can help each other out, because we're all dealing with so many of the same issues in in your programs. And us, as your school music dealer, want to try to be a resource to help you solve some of these challenges and issues. So uh, anyway, we always appreciate you listening. If you have ideas or tips or would like to be featured on the podcast, reach out to me and let me know. Donovan at Springfield-Music.com. All right, let's jump in. Well, today on the Will Better Bands podcast, we've got Matt McKeever. Matt is a musician, educator, and composer based in St. Louis, he graduated from Webster University in 2011 with a Bachelor of Instrumental Music Education degree and earned his Master of Music Ed degree in 2016 from the University of Missouri, St. Louis. He's currently the band director at Fort Zumwalt South Middle School where he teaches beginning band, concert band, and jazz band as well. And today, Matt, first of all, thank you, and welcome to the Mo' Butter Bands podcast. But today we're talking about improvisation and jazz and specifically how to teach improvisation to beginners and i think this would be a really fascinating topic it's something that i see uh, through my own personal experience as a musician and uh, you know school musician uh to watching directors run their jazz rehearsals i see that some people have a really good handle on how to do this and others are trying to still figure out the best way to do it i still, still see people teaching the b flat blues scale for <laughs> on day one and then Kids play that on everything, regardless of whether it's blues or in B-flat. <laughs> so anyway, I'm really excited to, to have this topic and conversation with you and to hear your thoughts on it. So take it away. Beginning improv, tell me your approach and kind of how you, how you think
1: about it.
2: Yeah, well, thanks for having me. This is great. Um, I, I look forward to, to sharing some things. Um, I think the first place to start is is really to say that there's there's no one way to teach improv. I think there's um, there's many ways to do it. There are some things that have worked for me um, that I can talk about, but it's by no means the only way. I think the other really important thing to say, like right off the bat, is that students really need to know that improv isn't just like making things up. Um, there's kind of this, you know, this idea that proliferates that that jazz improv is you just kind of make it up off the top of your head. And while there are elements of spontaneity that go into it, you know, a solo should never be totally pre-planned. There are a lot of things that are informed decisions and informed choices that you're making when you improvise so this idea that you're truly just making stuff up on the spot is, is kind of inaccurate and we definitely don't want to give kids the idea it's just like just go for it just play anything because that's that's totally that's really far from from accurate the way i think about improv it makes the most sense to me is it's kind of like a combination of of what's happening in your brain and what's happening in your heart you know if you're using too much of your brain it just sounds like you're playing an exercise out of a book, you know. Um, but mm-hmm. if you're using maybe too much of your heart, you're kind of, I call it like bulldozing through the chord changes, but you're not really thinking about what the chord changes are. You're just sort of closing your eyes and going for it. And you're going to end up playing a lot of wrong notes, you know. And while Miles Davis is famous for saying there are no wrong notes, uh, the reality is, is there are wrong notes. There's better note choices than others. And it's our job as teachers to teach kids what are the best note choices and why are those. Um, the best note choices. So Mm -hmm. um, I think the first step really is understanding the idea of scale degrees. You know, as we know, scale degrees are numbers that you can attach to notes in the scale. So if you've got, um, you know, a major scale that's seven notes plus the eighth note being the octave, uh, helping your students get really comfortable with the idea of what a scale degree is. Um, You can practice this in jazz band or you can practice this in regular concert band class. What one thing you can do is, say you're playing in the key of concert B flat, you can give your students a pattern, but just give it a numbers. You can go like three, five, one, and then have the kids play it back. And then you can do that in different keys, give them all sorts of different patterns, two, five, three, one, you know, kind of almost make a game out of it. Like they have to sort of uh, decode these numbers and turn them into notes and then try that in a different key. You know, you can even quiz kids and say, hey, can you play three in the key of B flat for me? Can you play six in the key of F? Can you play four in the key of E flat, you know, just really getting comfortable with the idea that connecting numbers to uh, the different notes in a scale, that's really the key behind understanding improv. So scale degrees are everything. And there's a lot of exercises online. You can use to do this. Um, there's an exercise online and I, I apologize for not remembering who wrote it, but there's a couple PDFs online called, uh, let's see, keys to degrees, I think are, uh, I think that's right. Keys to degrees. It's a, it's a little uh, PDF worksheet that helps kids understand how to do scale degrees and stuff. Also, you can do things with like telling students play, Mary have a little lamb, play it in B flat, but then also try to play it in the key of E flat or play it in the key of F transposing melodies and different keys. And that's going to help them wrap their mind around the idea that, you know, we don't just play in the key of B flat. Obviously in jazz, we're changing keys and changing like tonal centers almost every measure mm-hmm. a lot of times. So getting the idea of being comfortable, transposing different ideas into different keys, even, I mean, maybe even for middle schoolers, you're just mm-hmm. thinking like B flat, E flat, and F. You know, if you're playing a B flat blues, those are really the only chords you need. So starting there, just having kids transpose things in those three keys um, is a really good way to sort of set them up for this idea of improv, getting comfortable playing in different keys and transposing things and understanding scale degrees.
0: Yeah, um, I love this. Mm-hmm. I love the idea of, of having them convert from thinking of note names to scale degrees. And then, totally. you know, in the pop music world, we deal that a lot with like the Nashville number system where we replace, uh, replace chord names with just their uh, number system to represent uh-huh. their position in the key. And, and it, what it allows you to do is easily change keys and also actually easily remember chord formations, because instead of trying to remember well, it's A minor to C major, blah, 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 you're just thinking, you know, the number, you know, which makes it a lot simpler to kind of know what that progression is. And same thing yeah. with a beginning uh, musician, uh, beginning jazz musician, to start thinking about those scale degrees by number then when you start trying to tell them what makes up a chord uh-huh. major chord major seven chord being one three five seven uh, or if you're going to add the nine one three five seven nine uh then they know immediately they can put that oh okay yeah i can figure that out and then they can not only figure out what an f major seven chord is but they could also figure out what a b flat major seven chord is and that's really really fascinating that's yeah, yeah and it's awesome and
2: it's and it has so many applications beyond jazz, too. Obviously, if you're talking to your students about, you know, trying to tune a chord and you talk about how the third needs to be a little bit flatter and stuff like that, if a kid doesn't understand what the third is, then you're in trouble. So I, I don't see any problem with even talking to beginners about scale degrees and just putting, like, planting that seed. So by the time they're in seventh, eighth grade and they're joining jazz band, they have a really strong understanding of scale degrees. So that's really the place to start. Yeah. Cause,
0: cause even kids in beginning band can count to 13, Yeah,
1: totally. you know,
0: and that's all, that's all the scale degrees really we're going to see. That's all that as high as we ever have
2: to count. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. absolutely. Yeah, And then, you know, if you're talking about an arpeggio, if you're talking to your beginners about arpeggios, you know, having them understand that it's one, three, five, uh, and even connecting that with the idea of like, these are what we call chord tones. The other mm-hmm. notes would be non-chord tones. And I'll get into that a little bit later, but, Um, you know, having them understand that one, three, five, and even seven have a bit more importance than two, four, and six and and what that means. And that, you know, just sort of planting that seed and getting that idea in their head that there's something special about one, three, five, and seven is really important for later on when you start digging into some deeper stuff. So as far as like what an improv lesson should look like, these are just my suggestions. And this is, again, not anything that is is set in stone. But I would suggest trying to find a time that's not a full band rehearsal to talk about improv. It's hard because there are inevitably going to be some kids that may not be totally interested in the idea of improvising and that's okay. It's not necessarily something that everybody should have to do. So if they're not interested, it's not worth pushing it. So I would say maybe try to host if you're able, I know this isn't the case for everybody, especially this year, um, try to host like an after school workshop, maybe like once a week. For all interested students, say, hey, if you're interested in in learning about improv or soloing on some of these tunes, uh, come in after school. That's what I used to do uh, with my high school band. As I'd say, if you want to solo on any tunes, you got to come to a workshop, and we're going to work through these tunes a little bit, and we'd all do it together. And then if you're going to work on improv, make sure you choose the right tunes to improvise over. Sometimes I see, especially at the high school level, uh, band directors will choose you know, really good charts to play with their bands, but the chord changes are really challenging. And then they just sort of give it to a student and say, all right, I want you to solo over this. And it's it's a really hard tune to solo over, especially if it's like maybe like a, a rhythm changes that goes really fast. Stuff like that is hard. So if you're going to figure it, if you want to start talking about improv, pick a tune that makes sense. Maybe pick a tune that only uses like the major seventh, the minor seventh, and dominant seventh. You know, or maybe even the half diminished seven, but like try to focus on just a couple of chord types. You know, if we're talking like, if there's stuff like augmented or fully diminished and stuff like that, like you might—that's not a good place to start. Maybe (laughs) just start with major, minor, dominant. You know? Yeah. And I and and one thing you can do too is if you see a chord symbol that has a lot of like extensions, like like sharp nine, flat thirteen, like all these extensions, just take all those out and boil it down to the simplest chord. If it says like F seven sharp nine. Just make it F7, you know, just mm-hmm. simplify it for your kids. Or if you even want to get simpler than that, um, you know, if it says like C major 7, you know, sharp 11, just say C or in the key of C, right? Because obviously C major 7 is a C major scale. So, you know, mm-hmm. boil it down to simpler chords. Um Choose a tune that has a short form. You know, maybe twelve or sixteen measures. A blues is a great place to start. I mean, I think that goes without saying, but a blues is a great place to start for talking about improv. But choose something with a with a, a short um, a short form. And then if you've got maybe one, more than one chord per measure, maybe say for example you've got like a chord on beat one and a chord on beat three. Take out the chord on beat three and just have like one chord per measure. And if that if that like drastically changes the tune, then maybe it's not the right tune to use. Um, Some tunes that I use, I just listed a couple of tunes here that I think are good for like a jumping off point for improv. Like I said, a blues, um, tunes like All of Me, Song for My Father, Blue Bossa, Autumn Leaves, Watermelon Man, Doxy, Summertime. Those are all great tunes you can use. Um, And a lot of those are tunes that show up in like Abersol books too. Um, I think it's Abersol number 54, It's called maiden voyage it's supposed to be like a beginning improv book that's a great resource i I like that book a lot and it uses some of those tunes that i just listed so pick a good tune to improvise over you know be smart about what you want to what you want to work on and like i said a blues is a great place to start Blues in b flat would be great so what what an improv lesson kind of looks like for me uh is we'll all play together we'll maybe play some patterns and stuff which i'll do here in a second but We'll play some patterns as a full group going through the whole form of the tune. Um, And then once we feel comfortable to the point where we want to try to sort of dip our toe into taking a solo, everybody takes a turn. Whether you've got three people or 12 people, everybody take like one pass through the the form or two passes through the form, depending how long or short it is. Mm -hmm. And just go around the room and each person gets, gets a chance to go through it. And it's really important too, as a teacher that we all take a pass on the solo as well you, you gotta you gotta practice what you preach so if you're telling kids how to improvise you have to show them that you at least have a fundamental understanding of how to improvise it doesn't have to be like this blazing riff and solo because really you should just be doing what they're doing you know if they're just improvising using one three and five you should just improvise using one three and five and you know be comfortable enough with doing that so you can show kids what it's supposed to sound like you know mm-hmm. um it's it doesn't do you much good to play the recording of Charlie Parker and be like, just sound like that. Cause that's not what you're looking for. Right. I mean, that's not what you're looking for initially. You're looking for a nice, simple, basic solo using good, you know, solid fundamentals. So right. go around the room, have everybody take a solo, you take a solo. And then once everybody's got a turn, try to give everybody some feedback. Like I liked what you did there. Watch your four chord, put a little more space in your solo, try to change the rhythms. You know, it's, it, depending on how many people are in the room, it might be hard, but try to give everybody a little bit of feedback on what they could improve on and what they did well on. And then maybe work on a couple of things. But again, everybody just needs a chance to get comfortable improvising like in a sort of a safe, controlled environment where we're all learning together and we're all experiencing yeah. it together.
1: I love
0: I love the idea of of kind of setting this up and having everyone try it. And I, and I especially love the idea of having the director participate in it. And I think for some directors who are maybe you know very skilled uh, and experienced improvisers they'll have to p- pull themselves in a little bit to not like hey just let me let me wow you with what i can do it's, which it's there's actually, a time and a place for that probably but yeah. it can be intimidating for a beginner to hear like oh oh god i don't sound anything like that like it's you want to sort to of put harder. it out there where they can get it you know and yeah, reach super, them where, it's where surprisingly
2: they're at hard to pull yourself back and just and just like play just arpeggios for <laughs> You know, for someone who's maybe more um, experienced with improvising, it's hard to just boil it down. It's actually a really good exercise for you as an improviser. To just be like, all right, I'm going to only play chord tones or something like that. It's yeah, it, it's actually surprisingly challenging.
0: Oh, I, 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 yeah, I can totally see that. In college, I remember we would uh, have I had have an improv class, and we would sit there and have to improvise just on one pitch. Uh and just only with rhythm and we could do like a a tonal variation stuff on that one pitch but we couldn't change notes and that's challenging too I think it's also really encouraging like even if so there are a lot of people that may be listening to this you know maybe teaching uh, a middle school jazz band or high school jazz band but they, they may not necessarily be a jazz musician themselves that may not be something they play in But I think they should still be encouraged to participate in this process and play with their students. Um, Certainly, you could get uh, an Abersold recording or the iReal Pro app or whatever if you'd like to kind of be a couple of weeks ahead of where (laughs) where your kids are at, possibly. But Mm -hmm. even showing, I mean, you know, just because you're the band director, you don't have to be the expert. So showing them that you're willing to make yourself vulnerable and put yourself out there as well, uh, I think that's a a great thing to demonstrate in front of students.
2: Absolutely, I, I think it's you gotta you gotta be able to what you uh, what you want them to to do, right? They have to be able to hear it at a really basic level so they can sort of imitate that. And I find sometimes when I work with students over a period of time, you know, for for better or for worse, they start kind of sounding like me, which you know, in some cases is good, some cases is not, but I'm, but they truly like they're like sponges. They take in whatever, whatever you do. So if you're giving them good information, they're going to, they're going to react to that and do well. And you brought up another good point that I, I, for, I forgot to mention was you really should have some sort of a play along track um, to, to play along with, whether it's be or an AbraSol or now even on YouTube, a lot of, a lot of sites are, um, are sharing, play along tracks. Uh, there's a, there's a site called shed the music. I think it's like shedthemusic.com the has great resources for play along tracks and um, they have, what do they, what do they call those? they they have like transcriptions, but they're guided transcriptions where you can transcribe uh, you know, like a Miles Davis soul, but they give you a couple of notes every once in a while to help you sort of guide you along. So shedthemusic.com has some really, really great resources um, and play along tracks and stuff like that. So you should definitely, when you're going through this stuff, have a play along track going, you know, try to get one that does like 12 courses in a row. So you don't have to stop between you solos and restart the track, just, or or turn I on and just set it for like, you know, not to ever stop and just have kids go one after the other and take those courses. So let's, you know, I, I think now that kind of an idea of maybe what a, what a improv session would look like, let's kind of talk about maybe like those first steps. So I think the first step is, just understanding the relationship between a chord symbol and what type of say arpeggio you would use with that. I, I like to start with arpeggios um, and I'll talk about scales later. You know, I think you could just start with, if you really start it. You want to start from square one, start with the root and the third. Um, obviously the root's easy to find out because that's whatever symbol it is. You know, if it says C seven, the root is always going to be whatever that letter is. But then when you're talking the third, you can just talk, if it says, if it's a dominant seven or a major seven chord, um, it's gonna be the major third. And if it's a mm-hmm. minor chord with a little dash with a small M, it's gonna be the flat third. And you can just start with the root and the third. And that's, I think any student could figure that out. Um, so if you're in the key of concert B-flat, it's B-flat and D, if it's a minor chord, it's B-flat and D-flat um, and start there. And then what you can do is you can take a set of chord changes, in this case, maybe like a, a B-flat blues, and just play the root and the third. Um, you can come up with patterns. Have students create patterns that use just the root and the third, and cycle through that whole thing. So I can actually give you um, an example of that. Yeah. So if you're just, if you're just playing the root and the third over over a B flat scale,
1: mm-hmm.
2: the root and the third, you could just go like.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: As the chord changes, just play one, three. Super easy. That's a great place to start. It's uh I think everybody could probably feel pretty successful on that, but then come up with some other patterns. And I actually I made a sheet I just call patterns for improv. And anybody can do this, it doesn't, it doesn't really take any skill to do, but just come up with various patterns, different rhythms, and different note combinations of uh, different patterns you can play through. So, like maybe you do something like i'm just going one three one another really important thing to do is to make sure that you're having them practice patterns that don't always start on the root because that's a that's a big thing about middle school improvisation and high school for that matter early improvisers they always want to start their ideas on the root because it's right there in front of you when you see the cool yes. symbol you always know you can start on that note but that's not that's not the ultimate goal the ultimate goal is to get comfortable starting on any note um within the arpeggio or you know non-arpeggio notes so you can do patterns that start in this case if you're just on one and three start a pattern on three and go like three you can do something like three three one third and that gets them to really have to think hard about this because they can't just play the note that they see they have to start on the third and again this goes back to why it's so important to understand scale degrees, so they can immediately look at a chord and go i know what the third of that chord is and mm-hmm. that in itself that exercise right there I mean, that could take a couple weeks right there just to get kids comfortable with that but that's really important yeah what they think is that they think of chords not just as starting on the root but starting on any note really and then getting out of that idea of just seeing a chord and playing a note. So once you get comfortable with that, you can start adding fifth. That's where I would go next. I would do root third fifths so that you're doing arpeggios. So you can do, you know, maybe an idea that starts on third would be like three, five, three, one. It's kind of like St. Louis blues, something like that, start some ideas that start on the fifth. Five, three, one, something like that. And just come right. up with, you know, have kids come up with their own ideas. They'll come up with some really interesting stuff. And what you're doing is not only teaching scale degrees, you're also teaching some nice jazz rhythms and jazz articulation as well. And you know, have, play it the way that you want them to play it with the correct articulation and style and whatnot. So, you know, stuff like that, just looking at on one, three, and five, like I said, that could be a couple weeks at least if not a couple months of just really getting everybody getting really comfortable with moving around one, three, and five. And if you can do that, you're in good shape. That's like a really good first step towards moving to some other things. Mm -hmm. The next big thing that I would go to after that. um, And I I honestly can't remember who told me about this. It was somebody in college, another educator, and I can't remember who it was, but they talked about the idea of linear voice leading this idea of going up and down, Now that you know, the arpeggios, going up an arpeggio, say, if I was starting on the first chord of a B-flat blues, which would be B-flat seven, going up one, three, five, eight, right at the arpeggio, and then the next chord, if it was the four chord, which would be E-flat seven, um, trying to find the next closest note in the key of E-flat seven and moving down, up or down the arpeggio there. So what you're essentially doing is you're creating this This line of notes. There's not any big leaps. You're kind of trying to navigate smoothly from one chord to the next chord um, without always jumping back down to one. You know, so you're kind of, rather than getting this shape where you're going up and then back down and up and then back down, you're kind of creating more of a line. So if you were to do that over a B-flat blues and do it say just all in quarter notes, um, it would sound
1: something like this. (laughs)
2: Is it's just a glorified bass line i mean you're 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 kind of creating bass lines and you're just playing in quarter notes quarter notes is too hard you can do half notes and just do two notes per measure you can even do whole notes you know and just play one note per chord but try to find that where
0: the next closest chord tone is to get exactly that's that's genius man because you're right that's such a it, once you once someone understands that what the degrees of the scale are and then they can understand then what the chord terms mean and, and what notes are in the chord mm-hmm. it's just so difficult to not immediately like start on the roots of a chord mm-hmm. or to follow that pattern but to start thinking more linearly where you're thinking about how those things are connecting starts to make yep. music and you'll still have some arpeggiation which is like you know a, a really important part of making hip, mm-hmm. hip imp- improv lines and stuff like that but connecting with the fluidity of of that those linear progressions yeah uh, really smart and that's definitely like i'm sitting here thinking through that in my head as you're uh sounding them off and i'm like okay like uh, yeah that, that's a i mean i've been playing a long time but like this is hurting my brain on a saturday morning with half a cup of coffee and <laughs> like, trying to think of what those connecting tones are but that's what makes it fun it's like a puzzle you know it's it a puzzle exactly.
2: that's exactly and that's how i see it i see it and and these are your kids who who like solving a puzzle and like figuring stuff out that are going to be your best improvisers because creating a good soul is kind of like solving a puzzle it really is how am i going to navigate through these chord changes that make this sound melodic and good and you know creative and linear and something that people are are going to remember so it is like solving a puzzle i'm glad you said that that's that's really how it goes through my brain as well how can I take these core changes and navigate through them, um, you know, fluidly and make it sound good. So if you've got that figured out again, that in itself could take a long time to get down, but if you go, yeah, we're, we're slowly, probably
0: a semester in at this point, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah,
2: really. there's no, there's no shortage of stuff to work on. I mean, it's yeah. kind of, I kind of am flying through this, but it's really pretty basic concepts that you just need to get really good at. It's not, it's not rocket science. You just have to get good at really basic stuff. And and going through those chords and, and navigating through those linearly is, is a great place to be. Yeah, um, that's
0: that's the know? thing. Like, you're talking about, we were mentioning how long this can take. I mean, that's that's the first step. So, as you're teaching this stuff, just kind of recognize, like, you don't have to in one week cover what we've covered yeah, already. Like, absolutely. But you also don't have to wait until all of it's perfect before you move to the next thing. because. These types of things are things that you know professionals work on. This kind of stuff uh,
1: mm-hmm.
0: still, so you're, you're, you're kind of never done with it. But uh, you know, so you know, don't hit it, don't go to all of it in, in one day uh, with your with your class, probably. Uh, yeah. But don't don't make it wait for perfection before you bring in the new concept, the next concept too.
2: Sure, and, and I think this would be as good a time as any to address something you mentioned earlier, which is the, that idea of that blue scale. I, I don't feel particularly strongly about using it because there are some notes that I think early on could could give students the idea that uh, there there are some notes that I would consider to be sort of wrong notes or notes that you haven't taught your students yet why how what they function like for example if you're if you're going to play that blue scale that uh, that flat five or sharp four whatever you want to call it that note functions differently than the root of the third or the fifth, you know? So, and if you haven't taught your students that they're going to inevitably, at least in my experience, they're going to find their way to just like sit on that note throughout the whole solo and it's going to sound awful. So, um, it's, I guess what I'm trying to get out here, the big picture is improv is not something that you can necessarily solve with a quick fix. Like here, use this scale and it's going to sound good. That's not, mm-hmm. it, it'll work in a pinch. But if you really want to create some good improvisers through middle school into high school and beyond, take the time to do it the right way and go step by step. I, I understand it's it you know in our in our instant gratification world it, it we we want to get results really quickly and kids want to like fly up and down the instrument, play high notes and low notes, and that's just not the right way to do it. In my you know opinion, you have mm-hmm. to take the time to do it the right way. If you want to eventually become a really good improviser so take the time to start on just like the root and the third or the root third and fifth and and force them to do that i i kind of i think of it sort of as like you know trying to teach someone painting but forcing them to just paint with like two colors to begin with you know and just go make something out of this if you can make something out of this then we can start adding more colors to the palette here but um you know if i just throw you everything at once it's it's not gonna it's not gonna
0: help you in the long run so um, yeah i i always thought about it as like you know we have so we have two two boys that are that are grown now Mm -hmm. growing but when they were young we learned with the first one to not feed them just whatever they wanted or very simple foods because you can quickly get into they'll only eat foods that are brown and so with the second one he just ate what we ate and he was always getting a steady diet of vegetables and proteins and just different foods and we intentionally stayed away uh from some of the things that we knew like he would really really love right off the bat we kind of wanted his palette to kind of get out there and i feel like when directors teach the blue scale right off the bat which i get why they do it because like kids like the sound of it and, and it's you know it's, mm-hmm. it's a neat sounding scale and stuff like that uh, but it's sort of like starting someone off with junk food you know not yeah. that the blue scale is junk it's 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 wonderful when used mm-hmm. as the right color but if that becomes the basis of the, your diet, of your vocabulary for improvisation, it's very difficult to get you to have the discipline to go back and learn uh, your chord, your your scale degrees and chords yeah. and actually learn the right thing. And once you've kind of built that foundation where someone has learned their scales and degrees and arpeggios, not all of it, but just enough of where they start to have a vocabulary mm-hmm. uh, based on chord forms and the right things. And they're starting to kind of get it a little bit. Then if you mix in a little bit of like, well, let me show you this other type of scale and how some of these, the flat five leads and stuff, now they actually kind of have a little more comprehensive understanding of how to appropriately mix that in, and they're not going to rely on it all the time, regardless of the key or whatever they're, <laughs> they're in. So.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And and I can tell you, and um, this is a little bit inside baseball, but um, I've, I've been judging uh, all state saxophones. For Allstate Jazz Band the last couple of years. And I'll tell you, and I think myself and the other people who are judges would all agree, we'd much rather hear somebody when they improvise, someone who's inside the chord changes and play simple ideas than someone who's trying to rip up and down the horn, you know, play their highest altissimo notes and, you know, try to play with blazing technique, but they're not, but without the concept of chord changes, or, you know, come in there and just play a blues scale. Um, mm-hmm. I'd much rather hear somebody just play like arpeggios in the right key. Um, that that shows to me that this person's on the right path towards becoming a good improviser, rather than just saying you just use this blue scale. This is gonna this this will make you sound halfway decent, you know. Right. So um, that's that's how I approach it, and I think you know most most people would would agree with that. So for what it's worth, for any you know directors who are who have kids who are auditioning for you know, district and state ensembles, that's really what we're listening for is, is, is you know, an understanding of the chord progression and chord changes and how it works. We're not looking for an amazing solo necessarily. We're looking for people who understand and are moving in the right direction. So so that's, that's kind of where I would start. And, and at this point, the other thing you could do with this linear voice leading is also add, um, you could vary the rhythms, add space, add repeated notes. So rather than just sounding like you're playing a continuous solo of quarter notes, which would be super lame. You can kind of vary things and, and maybe do stuff like.
1: <laughs>
2: stuff like that. I added a passing time. cheat up there. Um, <laughs> it's hard <laughs> not to, uh, <laughs> but you know, Adding space and varying the rhythms makes it sound a little bit more like a jazz solo. And that's where stuff like listening um, listening to other jazz musicians will give you an idea on how to play some interesting rhythms. Um, and that's a whole other element that I don't even think we have time to get into today, but just the idea of like listening. You should be listening to jazz. My, my former colleague at South Middle School, he used to say... If you you know if you've never seen an elephant and someone told you to draw an elephant, how would you know what to draw? You know, and that's kind of how I feel about jazz. If you've never listened to jazz, but you want to play a jazz solo, you have no foundation of what sort of an archetypal solo should sound like. So, you know, I'm not saying kids have to go home and like like memorize all of a Love Supreme or anything like that, but they should at least like casually put some jazz on and listen and, and give kids suggestions of people to listen to. Mm-hmm. Obviously miles is a good one for saxophone. Paul Desmond is great. Um, you know, uh, there, there are plenty of musicians. I, I my, my brain is always drawn to saxophone players, but guys like Dexter Gordon, Sonny Rollins, you know, guys who who don't necessarily always play with this blazing technique, but um, just give you a good, a good example of what like a nice, nice sounding solo would sound like, you know, don't start them off with these really heavy, modern guys start them off with some of these you know um guys who just play like really like tonal in in stuff
0: before you go on i I just want to talk about that and uh, Mm -hmm. as you mentioned miles dexter gordon Sonny Sonny rollins having i think that's so smart to have that some resources for students to listen to that's Mm -hmm. a little more accessible Obviously, yeah. with Miles, we have to be picking specific albums, because if they start off with <laughs> Bitches Brew or something like that, it might be a little challenging. Yeah, I would, um, I would
2: start in, like, like 50s, Miles. Yeah. Like, well, even, like, late 40s wouldn't be great, because that's sort of, like, bebop and stuff. Like and... Like, his late 50s stuff... Mid to late 50s would be ideal.
0: It's very approachable. But yeah. it's so important for kids to start listening. And, and I've always encouraged directors when when I would see them to have like, hey, when kids are coming in and leaving, have music playing uh, so that they can start to hear it. Because this may be the only chance that they actually will hear a yeah. big band or the, or the only chance they'll hear an improviser. And start it right where you want them to be listening so that they're hearing different parts of the song and and you're totally right because it it reminded me of an experience that my wife and i had we went on vacation to this all-inclusive resort in mexico and it was hysterical because the food that they would make rather than like i mean i'm thinking it's mexico like we're gonna have tacos and stuff like that no Mm -hmm. they the the cooks there tried to do like their versions of international cuisine. Hmm. So we had Thai food and like um, uh, Mediterranean food, all kinds of stuff, which like sounds cool. If you look at the menu, the problem is these chefs, I guarantee you in central Mexico had never eaten much less seen any of these things they're making and the food was terrible (laughs) it was so bad because they had no idea what pad thai should look or taste like they had no Mm -hmm. concept of it and i think a lot of times when we ask kids to improvise if we haven't first yet let them hear what improvisation sounds like especially something simple and approachable they don't understand what it is they're supposed to be doing so program i remember as a kid I fortunately had a band director that just got me hooked on Count Basie and so I when I and I had a really long walk to school and so I would sit there with my Walkman because it's the 80s, you know, and I have totally. my headphones on. And I would just listen to the same Count Basie recording over and over again. And, of course, mm-hmm. that era is just so wonderful because it's a lot of the simple improvisation that you're talking about. And mm-hmm. um, and I would listen to this and just be, like, enthralled with it and uh, literally wore out tapes listening to the same thing over and over again. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I think That's some just so some powerful. Of the best
2: stuff, some of the best stuff to listen to, honestly, would be, like, you know, stuff like Louis Armstrong from the, from like the twenties and thirties. I think the only thing with that is the, the dated nature of the music might be a turn off to the kids. I know it is for me. Like, I, I really enjoy listening to like, you know, the Louis Armstrong, like hot fives and hot sevens, but it just sounds dated and the sound quality is not very good. And it does make the experience less enjoyable, I think from a listening standpoint, but the content is really good. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, absolutely. You're, you're, you're right on. I mean, we really need to make sure that kids are, experiencing what jazz sounds like. So they kind of know what they're, what they're aiming for. Yeah. What um, they're
0: trying to emulate.
2: Absolutely. So with the linear voice leading, just to get a little more information on that, um, I always tell kids, go as high or as low as you want through the arpeggio, just kind of navigate all the way through your horn and get the, I, the improv nature of it is you're changing directions when you run out of notes. So if I'm going, if I'm going up my arpeggios and I just keep going up, eventually I'm going to run out of notes. So I have to start working my way down, you know, and you want to stay sort of in that comfortable tessitura of your instrument. You don't want to get too low or too high. Cause um, I always try to tell kids like good solos generally stay more in the middle range of the instrument. Kids always want to go for like the highest note and then go way down to the lowest note. and so that's not for a listener. That's not enjoyable. If you hear like, you know, most good melodies, and there are obviously exceptions, but most good melodies have kind of a linear shape to them. So we're trying to imitate, we're trying to create good melodies when we solo so try to keep it linear. And then the other thing too, is that octave doesn't really matter. So if you're going through patterns, going like one, three, five, encourage them if they're able on their instrument, depending on comfort level to change octaves, do it. The lower octave the first time. And then when they see it again, play it a higher octave. So you get comfortable doing it, not just in one place on their instrument, but doing it in multiple places on their instrument. So changing directions, and changing um, the rhythms, that's all sort of, that's improvisation. Even though you're kind of pre-planning what notes you're going to use, there are still elements of improv. So it's not like we're throwing them in the deep end or putting them like in the kiddie pool first and saying, okay, these are all the notes you have to choose from, but the improv comes with what order you're going to play them in and what rhythms you're going to play them in. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would really just do that on like the first, the third, and the fifth. If you feel really comfortable, I would say this would really only be if you're starting high schoolers and they have a pretty strong concept of uh, skill degrees. You can start adding in the seventh, but I would say for now, just stick to one, three, and five. And then from there, the next step would be once you get a really strong grasp on arpeggiating and doing that linear voice leading through arpeggios is start sort of fitting in some of those non chord tones. So obviously non chord tones are the notes we don't use in, in an arpeggio. So it will be like two, four, and six. By adding those type of things to your solos, you're adding a complexity and a substance to your solos that sort of fills out. solos. like, I, I remember when I was younger, I would hear, you know, soloists that would play these like really fast, like 16 note lines and stuff. And I'm thinking to myself, like, what are they filling all that in with? Like, what are they mm-hmm. using? Like, they're obviously not just using like a major scale. There's a lot more going on there. And what it turns out being is there's all these different types of non-chord tones and different functions that they use and that gets you into you know you can think diatonic notes or chromatic notes and you know you could you could dig a pretty deep rabbit hole to try to figure out what these guys are playing but um i usually with with beginners i boil it down to two different types of non-chord tones there's a passing tone and a neighboring tone this goes back to like freshman year of college music theory stuff um but also stuff that you talk about in you know high school music theory but it's real simple. The idea of a passing note is you're passing from one chord tone to another. So if you're starting on the first, if you're starting on the root of B flat and you want to get up to the third on D, C is your passing note. It's like your bridge to get there. Right. So
1: mm-hmm.
2: starting to introduce this idea of like, we're not just going to play arpeggios. We're going to add the notes in between and use those notes as passing notes. And it's really important that we stress to our students the importance that these notes are not as important as the chord tones. Chord tones are different from non-chord tones. They serve different functions. You should be playing way more chord tones than you are non-chord tones. And you shouldn't be playing your non-chord tones on a majority of strong beats. They should be on weak beats as you're moving from strong beat to strong beat. Now, as you become a better improviser, you can start breaking those rules more. But I think early on, it's important to sort of establish the rules that chord tones are king. Non-chord tones are used as a way to move from one chord tone to another. So. That's the first one, a passing tone. So if I'm going, you know, I'm trying to get from one to three
1: using that passing tone
2: is is a note you can add, just one little simple note you can add to create a little bit more substance to what you're playing. Mm -hmm. The other type of non-chord tone would be a neighboring tone. The idea of starting on a chord tone, moving up or down to a non-chord tone and back down. So if you're on like, say, five and you just go five, six, five, that's you know that's a neighboring tone. So combining passing tones and neighboring tones and adding those to your arpeggios it's sort of like ornaments. You add you know a little more stuff to what you're doing. So that's where I would start. There are other types of non chord tones or non chord like ideas like a like a uh, enclosure would be something I would start talking about maybe in high school. You got the idea of like if you're just going from from one or sorry from like four to three you could enclose that and go and that adds a lot to your, to your stuff as well and enclosures are really like what opens the door to all sorts of stuff but I wouldn't even talk about that in middle school I just talked about passing tones and neighboring tones so what you can do is try that linear voice leading exercise going in quarter notes again just something like
1: just
2: doing quarter notes on chord tones Let's start adding some non-chord tones, passing tones, neighboring tones, and it would sound maybe something like this.
1: Okay,
2: and then you could, again, go back to the idea of changing up rhythms, adding space, repeating notes, and all of a sudden it starts to sound like a real solo.
1: Yeah. You know,
2: that, that in itself starts to really sound like, okay, now you're creating a melody because you're using all sorts of chord tones, non-chord tones, you're changing up your rhythms, you're but you're keeping that linear shape. And that, yeah. I think, if you could do that by the time you're, you know, I mean, by the end of middle school would be amazing. I mean, for a kid to play something with that concept would be outstanding. But I would say even like by the middle of high school, um, if kids could create solos that, that sound something like that, that's a really good place to be. I mean, yeah. I know for me, if I heard a kid play that at a district or state you know, audition. I'd go. Cool. Nice. This kid clearly has an idea of of chord changes and concepts. And again, it's not rocket science. I mean, it's something that we've been able to explain here in about thirty minutes. So, um, but it takes a long time to master that. Um, yeah. And then yeah. getting to the idea of scales, I really don't. At least at the middle school level, um, I don't talk a whole lot about these scales. I think there's. Sometimes we try to like reverse engineer this, and, and from the very beginning, we're like, okay, here's a major scale, here's a Dorian scale, here's a Mixolydian scale, here's a Locrian scale, and like that's way too much information early on. Yeah. So I would say avoid scales entirely because really, if you think about it, scales are just arpeggios with passing tones added in between. Right? If I'm playing a B flat scale and I play one, three, five, seven, and then I add the non uh, the, the non chord tones, it's a scale. So I don't think about it like scales. Um, I think about it as arpeggios with passing tones in between. And then eventually, you, once you're at the high school level, you can start talking about those different types of scales and you can do, you know, all your, your uh, Lydian flat two or whatever types of scales you want to learn, Super Locrian and stuff like that. So that all can come way later. I mean, that's more like college level stuff, but right. um, j- just think arpeggios and then passing tones and neighboring tones and that's it. I mean, that's, that's going to get you where you want to be um it's it takes a long time to get down but the concepts of it are really quite simple
0: well that's such a great thing that i mean those are that's such a staple diet that directors can use Mm -hmm. teaching improvisation for their for their students and it's things that they can even work on with themselves and continue Mm -hmm. to improve on and get better and it's very approachable the way you've broken it down i think makes Mm -hmm. it uh, very approachable for directors to figure out how they would teach and also for students to to learn as well, which is fascinating. Yeah. Really, really fascinating.
2: And I think beyond that, beyond that is when it starts sort of splintering off into different. If, if you've got a kid that can do this really well, you know, play through a solo, play through a set of chord changes and and do all this voice leading with all these different types of passing notes and neighboring notes like I said the next thing would maybe be enclosures using like chromatic passing notes chromatic neighboring notes and stuff like that but at, at that point it kind of it's hard to really say like here's the next direction to go I mean I've had a number of different teachers in my life at the high school and college level and even after that and not, none of them would if we got to that point would go in the same direction you know so right. it would maybe um you know do, Talk scales. Some would maybe talk um, like digital cells and, and these different other things. So I think that I only honestly feel comfortable sort of sort of recommending a curriculum up to that point. Beyond that, it's whatever direction the individual student seems like they're they're going, or whatever the individual teacher feels like is the best thing for the student. But in my experience, going up to that point, teaching that way helps students get to that point, which is a pretty good place to be by the time you're here in high
0: school sure well they also expand their minds and have such a much stronger understanding of music and musicality plus their instrument like you know I think about as a as a brass player mm-hmm. focusing more on arpeggios it improves our flexibility uh, mm-hmm. and coordination with embouchure and air and so you're, they're getting to work on a lot of these other elements as well and I know for myself playing jazz and and learning chords and stuff in high school when I got to college man, like theory and ear training was so much easier for me than it was for many of my fellow students that maybe didn't have that improvisation background. And, you know, I, I remember sitting in the music lab and like going around and doing other people's ear training for them because they couldn't figure <laughs> it out. And this is like the 90s. So we had like this four-bit music processing, which is really hard to hear anyway, since so you put the headphones on here and like, that's major, that's minor. like, uh-huh. and, But that's because these are all chord sounds that you're familiar with from playing jazz so it's yeah, uh, just totally. super helpful this yeah. was really fantastic i mean i think you've created something that has a lot of mystery uh and a lot of confusion for people and gave them a really simple road map on ha- how to begin and so you know beginning with 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 thinking about degrees and start to change translate things from the note names into degrees of the scale and talking about that just such a smart way and then and also getting people to listen to s- some simple things simple uh simpler improvisations, uh, improvisation so that they're kind of programming their mind and mm-hmm. thinking about arpeggiation and passing tones instead of scales is a much more hip way to imp- improvise and i think a lot of times when we focus on just scales you know, we hear those students that they just are sitting there playing a scale. A scale's yeah. not music, you know, it's a yeah. scale. <laughs> and, that's, and,
2: and the bottom line is, in, in a scale, especially with improv, in all how do I say this correctly? Not all notes are created equally. They all have a different function. And this, and this goes back to sort of the conundrum of the, of the blue scale. Every note in the blue scale has a different function. And when we, when we hand a student a scale too early, they assume that every note is created equally and I can use each note in the same way, in the same amount. And if you really wanna create something that's, that's melodic and pleasing to a listener, you have to understand the function of the notes. So yeah, it's, I, and, I, and I don't wanna sort of misrepresent scales and say scales are important, They're incredibly important, and you absolutely should be practicing them all the time. But in, in the context of early, very early improvisation, don't start by giving them that many choices, you know, start by giving them less choices and start with the most important notes. Obviously the root is the most important. It establishes what key you're in. The third is the next most important because it establishes harmony, establishes tonality, you know, major, minor, um, you know, so start with the most important stuff and get that in their brains first. And then as you go on, add the less essential notes. Um, But by giving them a scale, you're, you're basically saying all these notes are equally important and that's, just not the case with early improv
0: yeah well and, and the point too of of trying to emphasize those other chord tones other than the root, recognizing the challenge of the you know students always want to start on the root because that's the mm-hmm. that's what's printed on the <laughs> on, on yep. the chord name above the above the staff there uh, but to be thinking about other notes and you know really, if we're thinking about most chords, the third and the seventh are the most important part of the chord I, I mentioned before that I also play guitar. And I remember my uh, guitar teacher that i had that really kind of gave me all the chord knowledge that they have would always tell me he was like honestly like when you're playing chords you don't you don't we don't need to play full chords and you don't need to even to worry to play about the f- the root or the fifth which at mm-hmm. first like i thought well what in the world like if i'm not playing the root mm-hmm. or the fifth how's anyone going to know he's like well if, assuming you're playing with a bass player or a pianist like they're certainly going to be covering those notes. So as the guitarist, your 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 job is to bring color and and to pro- provide a more outline of the of what the chord is. So if mm-hmm. you need to drop a note, you can drop the fifth, you can drop the root, but you can't drop the third or, or the seventh because that's what defines the chord to tell us what it is. And that always kind of stuck with me and would inform my improvisation and stuff like that. Of like, man, the third and seventh, as you start really kind of getting advanced. Become mm-hmm. the real key important notes. Same thing with any of the alterations. But that's probably like senior mm-hmm. year and then the college and <laughs> beyond, <Yeah. laughs> thinking yeah. to that level. But yeah,
1: absolutely. well, man, you're, this is this is super. Right.
0: Yeah. This is super cool, man. We we've got to bring you back again for the what, where do we go from here type stuff. But uh, I <laughs> sure. think this you've really helped to kind of demystify some of this, which is really fantastic.
2: Awesome, glad to help. It's is an honor to be here.
0: for listening to the mo better bands podcast if you have something to share click the links in the show notes of your podcast app and leave us a message or email me directly at donovan at springfieldmusic.com that's d-o-n-o-v-a-n at springfieldmusic.com if you'd like to be a guest or would like to recommend a guest or a topic shoot me a line thanks again for listening